Summer Fred. Talk650andKSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFredDaily Garden Tips, lots of snark, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is a garden dialogue going on always and a picture of today's guest is posted there as well lauren mccrary my face is on your website yes your face is on my facebook page lauren mccrary giving the thumbs up to houseplants uh, (laughs) five days a week at the elk grove green acres nursery location and you're here to talk about houseplants i am oh good and and i'll tackle the other garden questions that come in how's that all right but i imagine you've picked up some uh, general garden knowledge, uh, because yeah. as you float through the Green Acres store, you're in your Green Acres shirt, and people exactly. are going to stop and ask you a question. And the area for disease and plant maintenance or garden maintenance, that area is always right next to houseplants. Mm-hmm. So I always get pulled into the pesticide questions or the fertilizer questions. My main weakness is going to be the trees, just because there are so many different varieties. Yes. Yes, there are. IDing the trees is my weakness, but okay. from there, all right. So yeah, all the ex- same. yeah, exactly. At, at your location, uh, you are just one doorway away from um, fertilizers and pesticides. Exactly. Yes. So you would naturally have that, or you would glean that knowledge in time. Right. And you have. Right. Okay. So I think that would be an appropriate topic that we will talk about during this first hour. Are perhaps some of the problems that house plants have. And the questions that you get at the Elk Grove Green Acres store on a regular basis, especially this time of year as we transition into fall, about uh, problems and what people should do maybe to prepare for the winter season, be they for your indoor uh, house plants currently or plants that you may be bringing in from the outdoors as the weather cools down, plants that you may think you're protecting from a frost or a freeze. But in addition to that, you may also be... Uh, bringing in some bugs from outside. Right, because the indoor climate during the winter is yeah. a perfect area to set up camp All if right. you're a bug. Turning the knobs in the next room. Albert's here. Hi, Albert. Brooks is here. Hi, Brooks. It'll take two people to figure out today's garden grappler that we'll do at 11 o'clock. There is a clue <laughs> available at FarmerFred.com or at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Go for it. Now, the numbers to call in with your questions, be they houseplant-related or garden-related, 576-1KST, which in numbers is 576-1578. That's in the 916. Outside the area, 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. I'll have to ask you this, though, Lauren. Yeah. As a millennial, Mm -hmm. should I start... uh, Soliciting questions via text. I would. I'll take that as a no. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't. (laughs) You know what? Though, maybe using your Instagram or your social media might be a way. I do. You can send me questions on Facebook or Twitter. That might be, or even Instagram. You could post a picture of something and then. You want me to multitask while talking. Yeah, isn't that what we all do? Well, yeah, but yeah, the, but to shuffle through three different social media sites, some of which are kind of clunky. Oh, you'll get the hang of it. I'm looking at you, Facebook. Um, it's yeah, it's okay. But you know, I can punch up email questions really easy, like this one. 
from Jeannie in Elk Grove about her Dracaena. She says, I have a tropical foliage plant that I think is a Dracaena. Now, we talked about that earlier. We did. Not on the air, though. We did talk about it. No, we did talk about it on the air. With the with the tax? Yes. Oh, yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah. You know what? We did. Because and some house plants some... are labeled tropical foliage, which tells you nothing. And it drives me insane because the picture on that usually has like seven different varieties on the picture that says tropical foliage, so you kind of have to guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it is a Dracaena, you can usually tell it should have a cane, almost like a trunk. And they usually have skinny, pointed, almost like blade-like foliage. Okay. All right. Of course, that's not her question. Oh, what's her question? Uh, her question is, I have a tropical foliage plant that I think is a Dracaena, <laughs> also called a corn plant. Yes. It's in a large 17-inch circumference pot set on a saucer of pebbles. It's in my bathroom near a large window over the tub, north exposure. She must have a view of the forest or it something. Has to. Yeah. The plant is now three feet tall, and all the lower foliage has turned brown. I've removed them one at a time and only have a few new leaves left on top. Can I cut this back, and if so, how close to the soil... I don't want to relocate the plant. Thanks for any advice. You definitely can cut it back. Uh, but my first question or concern would be if that bathroom gets used a lot because you can have too little humidity and then you could also have too much humidity. And if it's too humid, a lot of times you'll start to lose some of the bottom leaves and they will turn brown like a crispy brown and drop. But then again, in that family, the Dracaena family, they do tend to lose a lot of their lower leaves. If it doesn't seem like there's consistent amount of new growth popping up, you could definitely cut it back. You can cut it back anywhere on the cane. Just take into consideration when you do cut the cane, you want to do a slight bias, not straight across. What does that slight. mean? It's like on a maybe like a 45 degree angle. Okay. So kind of taking... like you would cut steak or chicken with a knife. You're going to take a little slight angle to the, to the cane so it's not flat across. And this way, if it is flat across, sometimes it can cause damage to the inside. Oh, okay. You want to leave an angle. Yeah, you want to leave Thank an angle you. on okay. the cane. All right. Thank and you. And where you cut, there will be new shoots coming out from the bottom right below the cut. Mm-hmm. You'll get new growth, but it takes about three to four months because this plant, the family, is such a slow grower. You're going to have to have patience with it. Can you make uh, that cut anywhere along that stem, or should you do it like right above a bud or below a bud? Anywhere or? along the stem. Really? Anywhere along the stem will be fine. How much should you at least leave at the bottom? I like, when I'm trimming things up, I like to personally only cut about 25%. So oh, okay. if you're looking at the stock and you have new growth at the top, as she says, I do 25% below that is where I would cut. Even though... This is a three-foot plant, mm-hmm. and the bottom leaves are dead, and there's only a few live leaves at the top. At the top. You're not going to have any leaves. Not not really, no. But okay. it's okay, because that cane that you do cut off, you could either A, stick it in water, it'll mm-hmm. re-root, or B, put it back in the soil. Oh, okay. What sort of soil is best for getting a cutting started? Usually you want something a little sandier that allows drainage. But honestly, for something like Dracaena's, mm-hmm. the potting soil that it's in is fine. Oh, really? You don't really need to worry about like a starter seeds okay. soil or anything. D- doesn't like that. need any sort of rooting hormone? Doesn't necessarily need a rooting hormone, and you don't need to worry about any peat moss, moisture retention, whatever. Whatever. You're taking soil out it's all in. the fun out of I know, I'm sorry. doing cuttings. You could honestly just put it in a glass of water. Yeah. And it'll re root in about a month. And then at what point do you need to put it in soil? 
I usually like to let the roots, especially for dracaenas, be about three inches before I put it in soil. Okay. And then you could go ahead and use your typical potting soil or should yeah. it go into a looser mix? You could use your typical potting soil. Okay. Dracaenas are hardy. Do you feed the water? When you know, it's rooting in water? I have one right now that I'm rooting, and for a while I wasn't feeding it, but then I realized I maybe probably should, and I only just used a B1 fertilizer, just a liquid. There's nothing in B1. I know. It's not It's not a lot, because no. I really didn't, you really don't need to feed it for a Dracaena. If, if you I may, could, though. If I may get rooting. on my B1 soapbox for a second here. Yeah, go for it. Thiamine, which is vitamin B1, is totally unproven for most applications that people think it's good for, like reducing plant stress. It has been tested once and back in the 1930s, and I believe it was on wheat in a laboratory Interesting. where it wheat. worked on wheat. Yes. Well, almost any wheat's hardy. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> and one of the ingredients that they had in their concoction was thiamine. But what it was that, and this is true of any bottle that's labeled vitamin B1 or any product labeled vitamin B1, look at the ingredient list. Thiamine may be on there, but heck, if thiamine was good for a plant, you could take your old Flintstone vitamins, crumble them up, and stick them in the soil. Love those vitamins. And yeah, and so would mealybugs too, probably. Probably. But anyway, with in that bottle that's labeled vitamin B1, Thiamine is just one ingredient. There are usually trace amounts of fertilizers, of macronutrients and micronutrients. Mm-hmm. And there is usually some sort of oxen in there. And by oxen, I don't mean the thing that pulls your plow in a field in 1500. It's a A-U-X-I-N, great Scrabble word, oxen. And that is <laughs> that is a basically a, a rooting hormone. Right. And... You can buy root tone, which is oh, an definitely. oxen itself. If you want to use something organic, kelp meal or um, seaweed has natural occurring oxens in it as well to help spur root growth on. But uh, basically, vitamin B1 in and of itself doesn't do much. You're better off just using a really weak fertilizer, and it's cheaper as well. Which would be perfect, too. Yeah. Okay. I'm- and liquid rooting hormone also is amazing, not just for... Dracaena, say you're rooting, but cacti, a lot of cacti. If you use, dip it in a liquid rooting hormone, mm-hmm. it shoots out so fast. Name me some liquid rooting hormones. I'm only familiar with the powders. There is a powder. There's also a concentrate. That, oh, that you dilute in water? That you dilute in water. Yeah, that would make sense. Oh, I, uh, other than kelp meal or seaweed that I use. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to. Which works like a charm. Well, even the, the, the vitamin B1 stuff is stuff you're supposed to dilute in water, I do believe. So there's a brand called Dip and Grow. Are you Dip familiar? and Grow. That Dip and would grow. be the liquid concentrate. Okay. That works really well. I wonder well. what the active ingredient in that is. Oh, I might be able to find it. I want to see if you can pronounce it. <laughs> but anyway, that may be the answer to your question. Uh, what else could cause browning of leaves on a dracaena like what uh, Jeannie and Elk Grove? Browning of leaves could be caused from overwatering. Mm-hmm. Dracaenas do not like a lot of water. Okay. They are used to a drier soil, a looser, sandier soil. So just with your regular potting mix, majority of it has about 30 to 40 percent of peat moss which is used to hold a lot of moisture. And because of that, you are you have a tendency to overwater, even if you don't intentionally mean right. to. And as Jeannie, Jeannie didn't talk about her watering regimen, but she did mention that this 
pot is sitting in a, a saucer of pebbles. Pebbles in the bathroom. In the bathroom. By the shower. So drainage may be very slow. Exactly. And uh, that may be admit. I'd be, you know, Jeannie, what you may want to do is take that plant out of the container and check the soil. I bet it's just muddy on the bottom. It could be, or if it say it's too big, because I think she said what a seventeen inch pot. Seventeen inch if pot with a three foot tall dracaena. If it's too hard for her to yeah. lift out, even just using a moisture meter. Mm, oh yeah, that wrong all the way it. down. There you go. And sell, let's sell some moisture meters today. <laughs> all right, yeah, okay. But just to see if maybe the bottom root system just isn't drying, and it could, like you said, just be yeah. sitting in some. Damp. You know, Albert, this is Albert's first time on the job in a long time since you've been here, Albert, and you've already perfected the art of giving me the skunk eye when it's time to take a break. So, yeah, we'll take a break and then more get growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE. Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred on Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Oh, somebody has emailed in a defense of liquid amber trees. Okay, Kathy writes in to say, Okay, Fred, you're clear about why you hate these trees, but don't forget they work for some of us. I only have two, and one third was a tree. Now it's a bush, and I love them. The dingle balls fall in a no traffic area. Roots are not in a traffic area, so no one trips. They are beautiful. So there. Fine. Weren't we just saying if it works for you? If it works for you, fine. I think the liquid amber is a great back 40 tree. And when I lived in Harold, I had two liquid amber trees that were approximately 200 feet from the house. Were those the ones on the far, far creek? uh, Down by the eucalyptus. Yeah, they were down there. And, uh, you know, they were fine. You could see them from the house when they did their fall color. It was nice. Gorgeous. And you never stubbed your toe on a dingle ball. Or, or a root, for that matter, because it didn't matter. <laughs> it was way off in, in the distance. So in my mind, it is a good back 40 tree. It, on a suburban lot, not very sensible. But anyway. But right. if it works for you. If it works for you, fine. There we go. Farmer Fred Garden Rule number seven. Lauren McCrary is here, as you can tell. Elk Grove Nurseries. Elk Grove Nursery, I'm sorry. Green Acres Nursery and Supply. There's no Elk Grove Nursery anymore. No, there is none. And the only other nursery that was in the Elk Grove location was Capital Nursery. No. Laguna Nursery was there. Well, Laguna, but... I still have their ruler. (laughs) That was from... really still have... Yes, that was... Who uses rulers these days? (sighs) What are you doing? Building crafts? (laughs) (laughs) You use a ruler (laughs) to make lines in a plain book that doesn't have lines okay okay, and some people use rulers for measuring things yeah that's true yeah that's true you know but some people also use calculators and these days we just use our phone for a ruler no for any measurement just google it up figure it out right then and there oh if you're so (laughs) so let's say Jeannie and Elgrove is measuring her dracaena and she says it's a three-foot dracaena Maybe she used a ruler to measure it. Or she's eyeballing it off of her height. Or she's eyeballing it or using some weird app on her phone. <laughs> on her where phone you to take a picture. Take, and then it... take a picture that automatically measures it. Right. And gives you some weird answer like, yeah, it's 35 feet or something <laughs> like that. But whatever. Right. So yes, I am not the only location out of the Green Acres store. There are five there Green are Acres. five Green yeah. Acres in the northern 
Sacramento area or in the Sacramento region. I don't know why I said northern. We're in yeah. California. That's probably why. But only four of them have houseplants. Oh. So our Sacramento store, the original, one of the original stores, the Sacramento location is off of Jackson and Florin Perkins. That location does not have houseplants. I'm wearing their hat. Matsuda's. Yes, it used to be. It used to be Matsuda's nursery. It used to be Matsuda's, yeah. um, I guess, sales nursery where you yeah. could go oh, yeah. and actually buy yes, things. Yes, yes, it was an actual nursery <laughs> where you could actual, buy you know, stuff. Yes. Rather than the Matsuda's now where it's just their growing grounds. Correct. They, at the time, the Matsuda family was growing plants wholesale and also retail. Yes. And that was their retail location. And now it's a Green Acres And store. now it's a Green Acres store. Without a houseplant Without section. Without a houseplant because section. Because it's the same old building it's always it been. It is the same barn that it's always been. Yes. So there's no regulated climate. For houseplants. There you go. But we do have a new location in Rockland. It's right next to the Bass Pro Shop off of the 80. And Sierra College. In Sierra College Boulevard. Mm -hmm. So it's right next to Sierra College Boulevard. That one does have a greenhouse. Yes, it does. So Elk Grove location and the Rockland location are the only two that have a greenhouse specifically for houseplants. But Roseville and Folsom have a houseplant section. A houseplant section section that holds just as much as our greenhouse. Right. Okay. So still plenty of varieties. I always love plants that have a show for the nose. And you were talking uh, with a caller over on the KFBK Garden Show about a blooming Dracaena that had the aroma of jasmine. Yes. Super sweet. Yeah. Houseplants with aroma. Now, there's a good topic to talk about. Not many do. And the reason being is usually in order to create a flower, you need a lot of light. Mm -hmm. And just indoors, you don't get the same adequate amount of light that you would outside. The windows have a UV film that block a specific ray that's usually used to create a flower. However, coffee plants are super hip and in right now. Coffee Arabica. So where you actually get your beans from. I believe Starbucks has pictures of them all over their walls inside their stores. But you can actually get a coffee plant now at our nursery. And if you don't know what it is, Google it or you could stop by the UC Davis Arboretum. They have one growing. It's about 20 feet tall. It shoots out a flower spike that is exactly like jasmine. And it will do it indoors? And it will do it indoors as long as it's in a south-southeast exposure window. Hmm. And But you can't harvest beans from it, I would think. You could. Um, really? I would probably wait. It's going to take about roughly 10 years before you'd get any <laughs> harvest anyway. And maybe you need to. <laughs> and maybe. Or you could get out there with a paintbrush and pollinate away. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's an interesting, that'd be an yeah. interesting houseplant. It's beautiful foliage, very yeah. similar to uh, the natal mahogany, the mahogany family. Yeah. The foliage looks very similar, except it's very shiny compared to the natal mahogany. It's a shiny, shiny green. So what are you going to tell all these people who show up at the Elk Grove Green Acres store looking for a coffee plant? I usually say it's not for the beginner. It's more of a novice plant. Well, beyond or, novice. I mean, beyond novice, uh, yeah. yeah. Expert. Expert plant. Yeah. And it does need a little bit more water. So mm-hmm. you do need to be careful with your watering. You can eventually transition it outside on the patio for our Sacramento region. Summertime, it'll be fine outside in the shade. But wintertime, it gets a little too cold. They're grown naturally in Mexico. Are you saying in a very roundabout fashion that, yes, Green Acres (laughs) carries coffee plants? Yeah, we do. Oh, you do? Okay. All right. That's what I was getting at. uh, I'm trying to help you here. Right right now, they're in about a 10-inch pot, which would be equivalent to a five-gallon. Okay. And that is something, too, when you come in to get a houseplant, our pot sizes are not by the gallon. They're by inches. 
Yeah, things are confusing so in the world it can of pot get, sizes. Yeah, it can get a little confusing if someone's talking about, oh, I have a seven-gallon plant. Mm. Well, that might be a 12-inch pot yeah. for a houseplant. It's very confusing. It does. It gets confusing. No one knows. No. Yeah. It's it, just guess. And, and what would be normally called a one-gallon plant can come <laughs> in all sorts of different shapes, Oh, too. it could be a six-inch pot, an yeah. eight-inch pot, depending on the yeah. the circumference or the height. And I notice now that on some of the pots, in fact, the one I purchased at uh, Green Acres just on Thursday. I, I, oh, at the Rockland store? At the Rockland store, yeah. I, I purchased a banana shrub. The Michaelia figo. Which, okay. The Michaelia, not not the fruiting banana. I was curious. No, which no, no. That was the Michaelia, okay. which is now called a magnolia. Go figure. But anyway, um, <laughs> it, that's a, it, they said, yeah, it's in a five gallon container. And I looked at it, it goes, it looks bigger than a five. And I was turning it over looking for a number. And all it had on it was liters. I think it was like 26.3 liters. Liters? Yeah. Really? I have not or, noticed. No, excuse the, me, 2.6 liters. I haven't noticed the liters yet. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder who the grower was. Uh, I don't know. Oh, it was Monrovia. Was it a Monrovia? Yeah, it was Monrovia. It Monrovia. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I think that is the only <laughs> criteria, the only consistent way to figure out is we're going to have to be talking. We'll be talking in liters from now on. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, where's, oh, I have my old comp composition book yes you could do the, i have the uh, conversions on the back all right all right okay leaders today all right let's go back to the original question though about growing a coffee plant in a sunny southeastern window it's it and you mentioned it, it it's coming in a pot of some size about about five gallons all right how long can it stay in that five gallon pot before you have to move it up a size for coffee plants, because yeah. they are fast growers, yeah. I would usually say maybe three months. Whoa, three months? Mm-hmm. Wow. The reason being, and this is going to be for any houseplant that you do buy, the pot it's in is not its forever home. Right. It is temporary. A lot of times it will be getting close to transplanting time, so you don't want to leave it in there for too long or else it will get root bound and it won't be able to drink mm-hmm. and the growth will just completely cease. Let's explain what you just said about the plant won't be able to drink. And that is because that container now, the roots have grown so much, the soil has basically been choked out by roots. Exactly. And when you are transplanting too, you want to make sure as you take your plant out of the pot, you will notice the roots are growing in a circle. And that's what eventually will choke itself out, just keeps growing in a Mm -hmm. circle and tangles up. But when you do transplant any plant into ground or in a pot, make sure that you break apart the bottom root system. So don't be afraid to hurt the plant's roots. You're not going to hurt them. Can, there is one, um, actually, we'll take a break. We have to take a break. And I want coffee now because we've been talking about coffee. But <laughs> let's talk about transplanting houseplants and the process that you go through to transplant. Oh, because definitely. you talked about cutting the roots. And there is a, a growing interest in washing off all the soil around the plant yeah. and then putting it in totally new soil mm-hmm. with the roots totally untangled. Uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. When we come back. And... People are calling with questions. Woohoo! The numbers to call 576 1578 in the 916 or toll free 866 331 8255. Email send it to Fred at farmerfred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Lauren McCrary from the houseplant section at Green Acres Nursery in Elk Grove. 
five Green Acres nursery locations throughout the Sacramento region. They're, as far as I know, they're all open five, uh, seven days a week. We are. Yeah. Um, I believe towards the end of the month, we may be changing our hours. But you'll still be open seven days we'll a week. We'll still be open yeah. seven days a week. Our hours right now are seven to seven. Did you get Christmas trees in yet? No, <laughs> not yet, but they will be rolling in soon. Yes. We're clearing out the pumpkins, making room for the Christmas trees. Yes, we just had our... Uh, Pumpkin Fall Fest event that was on Saturday yesterday. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the pumpkins did clear out. So we are right. making room. What did I say we were going to talk about when we came back? We're going to talk about the what my opinion is on Good. transplanting plants mm-hmm. into new pots. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, would I think it's best to wash off all of the soil oh, Good. and transplant it into new soil? And you know... I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i a little on the fence. There are some plants that I feel if you do pull them out of their nursery soil and put them into, get them completely octopus, bare root, and put them into new soil, it'll go into shock faster because it's not used to it. I like that phrase, even though it's just a word, octopus. Octopus, Because it yeah, brings like to mind little... the special or the exact way that you want the roots to be spread mm-hmm. out, like the eight arms or whatever they're called of an octopus yeah so that the roots have a will grow out and not around and round exactly yeah. i like that go ahead the only thing though if let's say you were saying there's a soil born disease or say your soil is infested with mealybugs then yes i say get rid of the mm-hmm. entire soil have it bare root octopusy or jellyfish however you want to visualize it and put it into new soil pretty sure octopusy was a james bond movie Mm, might be a little too young. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Just dated you. I know. <laughs> you did it yourself. It was like the fifth movie, I think. <laughs> so that'd be like 1969 or something. Else. But when you do transplant a plant, it is best to let it acclimate. If you're taking a plant home from a nursery, let it acclimate to your indoor climate first. Before you put it into a new home, oh, new soil. Okay, so bring it in old pot and all. Bring it in old pot and all. Yeah. Check too when you bring it into your house. You've check. washed it off first before you brought it in. Yes, you yeah. want to check the foliage, make sure there's nothing on there. You're not bringing any ants. Any weird ants. Ants. Yeah, ants. Yeah. Sometimes if you have, you're getting plants from outside and you're going to use it inside because you can do that with some varieties like uh, philodendrons. Mm-hmm. They can grow indoors as well. Check the bottom of the pot. Make sure there's no slugs anywhere there. You don't want to bring anything in. And that would be the same if you're transitioning your plants from outside to inside during fall. What a pleasant thought. Get up in the middle of the night and you're walking around barefoot and you step on a slug. Slug. I've done it before. Have you? I've done it. Well, my dog's bringing all sorts of things. Oh, yeah. Okay. But you do want to make sure you're acclimating your plant to your environment before you transplant it. Because the... Environment at the nurseries is usually about a 40 to 50% humidity where the plants are at, the tropical foliage. Your house during summer is about a 30% humidity. And in the winter, I bet it's less. In the winter, it's about 10 to 20% humidity, which would be equivalent to the Sahara Desert. Right. Yeah, because uh, electric and gas heaters provide no moisture. There's no no such thing as a swamp heater. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah. Needing to fix that. How do you fix it? By creating humidity, a quick way, a humidifier. 
Hmm, okay. <laughs> Grab a humidifier in a quick, quick way. Duh. Yeah, uh, otherwise, okay. you can mist the foliage. Misting the foliage is nice. And you have if, to hire somebody to do that? Is that a full-time job? It, no. Surprisingly, it isn't a full-time job. You may need to be, depending on what plant, there are many studies out there that misting isn't going to be the quickest, the easiest way because mist evaporates. Mm-hmm. But if you spray the foliage early morning, it'll have a better chance of drying out towards the evening so you're not causing any like gray mold. That may occur. So when you, when you get up in the morning, you make coffee, you, you feed the dogs, you, you feed, feed the, the cats, mm-hmm. feed the cats, fix breakfast, and miss the plants. And miss the plants. Okay. You could also group by grouping plants. They create their own microclimate. The moisture in the compost, the soil, will evaporate, which will create its own humidity. Or you could just use a pebble tray like our emailer said. She mm-hmm. has her plant on a pebble tray, okay. and that will create humidity as well. As long as there is drainage for that plant. Exactly. And that was the problem about why she may have had brown leaves along the the bottom portion of her corn plant, the Dracaena, is because the plant was basically sitting in water, and that water that she was watering inside the plant had no place to go except sitting there in the bottom of the soil. And, and, you, you, and you had a good suggestion. Yeah. Use a moisture meter. Use a moisture Stick meter. it all the way to the bottom. See what it's like there. If you don't have a moisture meter, uh, you could use your old ruler technique. Grab a ruler, shove it all the way in the soil. If the tip of the ruler is wet, it's too moist. That would also be Don Shore's technique, is to use a screwdriver. Screwdriver works, yeah. a pencil, anything that can go more than a finger width down. You need to get to the bottom okay. root system. So if you have eight-inch fingers, not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah, but for the rest of us... Could be an issue. Yeah. All right. Email from Tanya, who writes in, please ask your houseplant lady, that would be you, how she miss her plants without getting water on the furniture, rugs, floors, books, etc. Sometimes I out my houseplants in the shower. What do you mean you out your houseplants in the shower for a good I take out, maybe I take out my houseplants mm-hmm. or I put, maybe instead of out, she meant put. Sometimes I put my houseplants <laughs> in the shower for a good misting, but that's not always possible. Also, what are the best plants for lower light rooms besides the ZZ plant? All right. So to tackle the first question, um, I create a mess when I mist. I don't think there really is a solution for not getting the furniture wet. You could maybe put down a towel or a rag if you're going to mist and you know you're going to make a huge mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I too also I change the nozzle on your spray bottle. I make sure that it's as thin and fine of a mist as possible. You really don't want to drench your plant. You just want to kiss the top. So a light, light spray. But honestly, you're probably going to get everything wet anyways. I think grandma has the best idea. Cover all your furniture in plastic. You know, my mom still has one of the chairs that is covered in plastic. Okay. And I I inherited the uh, old space, aerospace kind of uh, diner table. Oh, the one good with for you. metal. Yeah. And it has, pla- it has a plastic top. And I actually use that for my houseplants. So my plants are on it and there's a plastic cover. So that would be the other solution, too, is replace all your furniture with plastic furniture. With plastic furniture. Okay. All right. And then as far as the low light situations, besides the ZZ plant, you could do a peace lily. A peace lily? Okay. Peace lily, which is Spathophyllum. Aglaonema family, which would be your Chinese evergreen family. Mm-hmm. There is Dracaenas, would do amazing. A lot of the Dracaenas, people will call them uh, palms just because of the way that their 
foliage groups. It kind of looks like a pom-pom almost. Yeah. You could do the Sansevieria plants. Ooh, the mother-in-law tongue. Mother-in-law tongue or snake plant are mm-hmm. going to be the two common names. Sansevierias are very, very hardy. Yes, they are. Mine is still alive. Is it still alive? Do you miss yours? I missed it every morning. I feed the dog, feed the cat, make the coffee, missed the plant. Missed the plant. Oh, I'm proud. And it probably hasn't grown that much. No, no, it's fine. It's alive. It's alive. It doesn't even have brown tips. Oh, perfect. See? Sansevierias, the thing is, they do not like water. They're actually classified in the cacti family. So they store all of their moisture in their foliage. So you need to treat them as if they were a cactus. So barely, barely water. Okay. And they too, actually, speaking of cacti, they can handle a little bit more cold at night. So the Sansevieria, if you do have it in, let's say, a northern exposure window, in the wintertime, you really don't need to move it. Yeah. It'll be fine. Okay. That You know, that's the other thing we didn't talk about with the change of the seasons and the fact that the sun may, instead of coming in the window at an upper angle, may be coming straight, straight in. directly. And I guess in that case, as you mentioned earlier about you don't need and you shouldn't put your houseplants right next to a window right. because it's colder there. It's colder. But also to protect it from sunburn, too. You want that maybe a sheer curtain between the two or move it back further from the window. Exactly. And, too, it's going to be about two hours of Pretty much direct sunbeams coming in yeah. through that window. So you do want to be careful. Keep it about a couple feet away. Usually two feet away is perfect. And then that way you're not really messing with the five degree to 10 degree difference that will be right next to that window as the winter month comes. Okay. So again, for your low light plants for that room, is lower light considered enough to read in without no, a light? No. No, medium light would be considered readable light. Readable light. Okay, so this would be light where you couldn't read. Yes. But this, not so dark that you stumble. Right. This would be the light that you would get mad about your kids not turning on a lamp because they're trying to read in an area where their eyes will strain. So it's straining light. Okay. Would be lower light. And also, too, there's a plant called Syngonium. Syngonium. Which would be uh, your arrowhead plant or mm. butterfly plant is the other common name, arrowhead or butterfly. Okay. And Syngonium does amazing in dark, dark areas. All right. Amazing. You could also do pothos. Pothos. Pothos or pothos. Okay. Cousins to philodendrons. So a lot of the foliage is going to look very, very similar. They're more of your trailers. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be your hanging plants. And those will do amazing in lower light settings too. I noticed somebody on Instagram, I think it was Instagram, was marveling over a Swiss cheese philodendron. Yeah. Really? Swiss cheese, monstrous, delicioso. Yeah. Yeah. It, and is that a, a philodendron? It is a philodendron. And we actually have, I at my location, I have about 15 of them in a six-inch pot right now. I have some at home. I should take a picture and send it to you. It's a, It looks like the Monstera. Philodendron monstera, if you guys aren't familiar, it's the split-leaf philodendron. Yeah, but it has holes in the leaves. But it has holes, and the leaves are not as large. The leaves Mm. for the Swiss cheese are about four inches long, maybe two and a half, three inches in diameter. Yeah. And it has holes. It looks like Swiss cheese. And you have them. And we have them. Okay. Because on Instagram, they were wondering where to find them. Yeah, we have them at the Green Acres locations. And back to the washing all the roots off. It would be okay to put this in glass of water. I know that's the hip let, thing let, to do right now. Let's talk about that when we come back. Mm-hmm. You're a big fan of Etsy? Uh, yeah. 
All more right. Pinterest. So for those, that, okay, and <laughs> Pinterest. <laughs> we got we got you started on an account. Have you not been up on it? You haven't been. I, no. No. But I have posted things in the past to Pinterest. Okay. I think if I was single, it would be a great dating service. But no, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just like, okay, pictures. Yeah. I understand. Uh, yeah, and I do have a lot of, I, I love you followers on Pinterest. Thank you. I, I just <laughs> haven't been active there in, in a while, but I do have pictures up. New All Year's right. resolution. <sighs> there isn't enough time in the day. Not with the Dodgers in the postseason. Oh, gosh. All right. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, let's talk about growing plants in water and what you think of that. You got it. And we'll go to the phones, too. Answer your gardening questions as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With our guest, Lauren McCrary from Elk Grove's Green Acres Nursery Store. Hey, there's a garden grappler coming up in a few minutes at 11.05. Clue available at FarmerFred.com and at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Yes, it will be a houseplant question. So, Lauren. Yes. For years, for decades, for generations, people have tried to grow avocado trees from pits where they take a pit from an avocado tree, Mm -hmm. put a toothpick on either side, Mm -hmm. suspend it over a half-filled glass of water, Mm -hmm. and watch a tree sprout. The roots come first and then the top comes. And now you say people are trying to do that with other plants, Mm -hmm. basically growing them in water. Growing them in water. It's pretty much hydroponics for your plants. Yeah, but hydroponics is a bit more complicated than that because it usually involves moving water. And mist. And misting uh-huh. and and a constant flow of nutrients. Mm-hmm. So the closest thing to that would be the avocado suspended. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people are seeing on Pinterest and Instagram and Etsy that, I don't know if you guys listeners out there know, but macrame is back in style. Oh, good. I'll go get my bell bottoms. Yes. So macrame has come back for a couple of months now and it's stronger than ever. And a lot of people are using old vases or glassware, putting a macrame hanger on it and hanging them in windows or anywhere in the house. And the issue with that is they want to grow houseplants from it. But only a few plants can actually sustainably live in that water. Your main one is going to be your vines, anything Mm -hmm. that's a trailer. So a creeping Charlie. Creeping Charlie, yes and no. Mm. Uh, creeping car- Charlie, if there's too much moisture, they'll start to brown yeah. and oh. drop all its Well, that, it's in solid so that, water. <laughs> so that might not be necessarily the best, but you could do the Wandering Jew, which is the Tradescantia family. Yeah. Okay. And the Pothos and Philodendrons will be your best bet. How long are they going to live in straight water? You know, it, the lifespan would not be as great as you would want. Eventually, plants want to be in soil to survive and grow. Mm-hmm. So I would say maybe about five months or so Okay, would be, I mean, you could definitely leave them in there for longer. I know people that have just had cuttings in glasses of water for years, yeah. but it's pretty rare occasion for that. And how often? You want to change out the water. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring yeah, up. How often wanna, do you have to do that? Usually about once a week you want to change out that water. But it's on a macrame. It's hanging from my 10-foot ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how'd you get it up there? You got to, same way you got it up there, you I got take high. it down. You got high, of yes. So are beer tab curtains coming back, too? No, <laughs> hopefully not. No. I did see, though, a lot of the shells 
Yeah. The shell oh, okay. and the feet. But I'm glad you didn't ask what's a beer tab curtain. I do know. Okay. All right. I do know. Fine. All right. Uh, let's go to the emails. Uh, Sarah writes in and says, how the heck do I transplant my cacti with two inch spines? It's overflowing its current container and I'm afraid of it. Oh, you know what my trick is? Um, well, maybe people don't get this shipped to their door anymore. The Sacramento Bee or newspapers. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I think about it, I might be the last person in my generation that actually gets a newspaper at my doorstep. But I, after I'm done reading it, I take the newspaper and I ball it up and I put it along the spines. Hmm. So you kind of decorations. It's like decorations. You kind of create like this, um, almost like a bubble wrap substance. This, Mm -hmm. the spines will pop bubble wrap. So don't try that. But paper, any type of paper, you could use. Well, the flyers that come in the mail. Flyers that come in the mail. Ball them up and put them around where your spines. And then remember to still wear gloves. Mm -hmm. Usually, rose gloves will help, just because it's a different type of hide. So it's stronger. It's thicker. My old pal, Lorianne Asmus, would take newspapers. Yeah, I, I just assumed everybody has a newspaper, yeah. but you're right. Not yeah, everybody not, I mean, has a newspaper. Yeah. Okay. You take you wet a newspaper, and then you kind of fold it up small so it's like a band, like a headband mm-hmm. thickness, and put that around the plant and then grab it that way. Yeah, that works too. Yeah. You could do that or even, um, well, no, because we're switching out a plastic bag, so I guess that wouldn't work either. But you might be able to do the same thing, create a band around with a plastic bag and hoist it. Yeah. But the issue is when you're positioning it back into the soil. Right. Because you actually do need to hold on to that plant. So newspapers or any type of paper might be your best bet. Butcher paper could work, too, if you have butcher paper at home. Butcher paper. Mm-hmm. There we go. Okay. Or uh, what, what's that paper called you bake on? Wax paper? No. It's got a Cookie special paper? name. Yeah. Cookie sheets? Yeah, it's got a special name. Oh. Parchment? That's it. <laughs> Parchment paper. Yes, thank you. I guess he could use that. Yeah, definitely. But that might be the easiest way because the spines will go through gloves, let alone. All right. Good warning. All right. To the phones we go. Amy in Sacramento, thanks for holding. What's up? Um, I was wondering, um, Roundup, after you paint it on and the foliage dies, is that part that you painted the Roundup on, is it toxic? To- can, can you plant something on it or i mean you put it back in the soil or should you discard it no what are you trying to kill with the roundup again a bird of paradise oh a bird of paradise okay that's an interesting way to kill it so you'd basically chop it off at the base and then immediately paint roundup on the cut in order to kill it correct yeah it doesn't really work it doesn't yeah (laughs) yeah, you have to do it immediately that would uh, well i do it immediately but yeah you know i think the problem is because of the sap running out Mm -hmm. of a bird of paradise it's sort of pushing that roundup back out Mm -hmm. and that would be the problem but then you know there's that part that i've painted the roundup on and i'm wondering whether that part is still toxic if i just leave it in the soil or should i discard it cut it off and discard it Uh, it'll be okay it'll be okay yeah i wouldn't worry about that Okay, and then baking soda. Can it be used for fertilizer? No. Is baking soda toxic to plants? Well, I'm going to um, channel my inner Pete Strasser here. Pete Strasser used to be the plant pathologist at uh, Capital Nursery. And whenever this type of question was um, asked of him, he would always reply the same. He would say, 
Are there instructions on that package that tell you how to use it for a fertilizer? No, because it's not registered for use as a fertilizer and or pesticide or whatever. So basically, baking soda is not registered for use as either a fertilizer or a pesticide unless it's registered with the state of California. And I don't think you're going to find that registration on a, on a baking soda package. No. But if you pour baking soda on a plant, will it kill it? I don't want to find out. I would be careful with that because uh, baking soda is very similar to like a salt almost. So you may mm-hmm. burn the plant. It'd be the same concept as like baking soda in deodorant. There are a lot of studies that say it can cause cancer, which it definitely can. I wouldn't necessarily put something like baking soda on a plant. Yeah, I, I, I would have. Even though there are home remedies, I know there are a ton of home remedies out there. But if, like Fred said, if it wasn't listed on the package, I probably wouldn't do it. Right. It's like oh, vinegar, for example. Like vinegar, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. W- wait a minute. Ants. Ants bring aphids. Yes. The plant. What do they do with it? They are they are collecting the secretions from the aphids. It's a sweet substance known as honeydew. It's that sticky stuff on your windshield. And the ants then take that honeydew back to the nest and serve dessert to everybody. Because oh, they don't they don't take the aphids back to the No, no, they herd they they move the aphids around to different parts of the plant in order to get a fresh supply of honeydew for themselves. They're a really great team, if you think about it. They're not good for us, but they're a great team. Ants are nature's little cowboys herding their little cattle around. Exactly. The the cattle being the aphids. And then when the cattle rustlers come, the beneficial insects, the ants will literally hurl the beneficial insects away from the aphids, basically hogging the aphids all for themselves. Oh, really? Yeah, I have seen ants lift up a beneficial insect and just fling it off a plant. It's amazing. Huh. They're strong. I, I'm rooting for the beneficial, by the way. <laughs> I'm not rooting for the end in this one. A- Amy, we have to go here. Thanks okay, for calling. Thanks. All right. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, when we come back, it'll be Garden Grappler time, a chance for Ooh. you to pick up a prize or two. You're going to be the judge, Lauren. Yeah. All right. You got your judge's uh, gown on? I got my judge's uh, gown. Okay, good. All right. And then... Uh, Five callers will win a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. And while uh, you're lining up those uh, thoughts and calls, uh, we'll be answering emails that you're sending to fred at farmerfred.com. I see we have questions here about anthuriums and staghorn ferns and whatever. Love it. So we'll tackle all that. Don't forget, Get Growing is available as a podcast either from KSTE.com or the iHeartRadio app or your favorite third-party podcast aggregator. Maybe it's iTunes. Maybe it's something else. It's Get Growing on KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. Time for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you are up on your houseplant knowledge. Simply put, today's question, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, little animals gathered there by the light of the electric radio. Today's question, name a houseplant with variegated foliage. Uh, What's variegated mean? I'm not going to tell you. Name a houseplant with variegated foliage. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. There is a clue available at Get Growing 
with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And, uh, you know, as, as the contest goes on, uh, we might provide a clue or two what variegated means. It's not that difficult. Name a houseplant with variegated foliage. All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. So have a backup answer. Now, if you go to the, the clue available at FarmerFred.com or the Get Growing page on Facebook, you will see answers. You will look at that and go, oh, that's variegated. Mm-hmm. So name a houseplant with variegated foliage. Are you guys ready in there? Albert Brooks, are you ready? Albert, I wish Albert Brooks was here. You know, that would be great if Albert Brooks was here. But you know, it's Albert and Brooks are here. <laughs> name a houseplant with variegated foliage. Anyway, they're ready for your calls. 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize in caller five. If you've got the answer, and Lauren, you're the judge. Woohoo! Lauren McCrary, Green Acres Nursery and Supply in Elk Grove, houseplant section. She would know. Name a houseplant with variegated foliage. And while you're calling in on that, we'll answer some of the emails you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Priscilla writes in and has a question, Lauren, about her staghorn fern. It's in soil but needs to be reported. <laughs> reported to where? Yes, reported to the houseplant police. <laughs> it, I think she means repotted. <laughs> yes. yes. It's in soil but needs to be repotted. I want to repot it in soil. <laughs> okay. Any suggestions? Yeah, you could do, you want to find a soil that has a peat moss mixture that's usually just going to be your potting soil or more peat moss base. Uh, naturally, staghorn ferns grow in trees. They're epiphytes. Mm -hmm. So that means they grow in and on trees. They're not used to pulling a lot of moisture with their root system. They get a lot of their watering from the trichromes or hairs on their foliage. Trichromes, I know, fancy. Wow, I like that. What yeah. does it mean? It's just the little hairs, the fibers on their leaves. Oh. It's how they absorb and take in. It's like little hands or mouths. Yeah. It's how they absorb water. I believe in the world of arboriculture, that is referred to as a leaf that is tomentose. Yes. All right. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. But you can definitely try chrome. T-R-I-C-H-R-O-M-E? Yes. Oh. Sorry, I had to think about that. I, know, I didn't know if there was an H in it or not. T-R-I-C-H. R-O-M-E? R-O-M-E. Trichrome. Trichrome. Mm -hmm. I could work that into a Words with Friends game. Yeah. All right. And when you do repot the staghorn fern, uh, if it seems to be getting too big, you're more than welcome to separate it out. If you are going to separate the staghorn into two different pots, make sure you are keeping a shield, that flat circular part, on both parts of the new plant. So there is a, a shield. It's a circular, fuzzy part. It is the main, almost let's say, the main root or the main house of the staghorn. Okay. If you accidentally cut that, you may kill off the staghorn because that is where the roots are coming from. Ooh, okay. Now, because it is an epiphyte, should mm -hmm. this soil mix that it's going into have a higher woody content? Yeah, so that would be, you could do peat moss, uh, fir bark. Mm-hmm. Is a good one. A lot of times if you just do an orchid mix, not the orchid bark, but an orchid mix, 
will have the perfect ingredients for you. Okay, that's what I was looking for was yeah. an easy answer. Yeah. I know you Orchid can't go mix. in and buy Purina Staghorn Fern Chow. No. All right. No. But, uh, but orchid mix is perfect. Orchids are also epiphytes. They're classified in the same okay. family. So use an orchid mix. Orchid mix. You can put it in a pot. You can put it in the ground. All right. Audrey writes in and says, I have two anthurium plants that I cannot get to bloom. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but anthurium is that plant that looks great in Hawaii? Yes, it is in the lily family, so it is very highly toxic. She has more details. Oh, yeah. Okay. They are getting indirect light. I water them on a regular basis, one time a week. The leaves look nice and dark green with new light green growth coming. There were red flowers when I bought them at a nursery, but since then, the flowers have gone. I haven't had any new ones. I have had the plants coming up for two years. Any idea on my care, fertilization, and placement of plants? When I bought them, the nursery told me to place them in full sun. I live in Arizona, (laughs) up at 5,800 feet between Phoenix and Flagstaff. I bought them in Phoenix. I love your Sunday programs. I listen every week. Great mountain biking, by the way, in Sedona, Arizona. I've never been to Sedona, but I really want to go because I hear it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Plus, I'm jealous of the climate because all the houseplants can grow outside in a shady area yeah, for the get, most part. It gets it cold gets in cold, Sedona. But yeah, but uh, yeah. Anyway. So for your anthurium, it sounds like you have it in the perfect area. It gets plenty of light. You're watering correctly. The one thing that I would suggest is just fertilizer. It sounds like it might be a little nutrient deficient. So you'll want to have a little bit more of your potassium and your phosphate to create some bloom. It doesn't sound like you need nitrogen that often. Nitrogen is going to be more for the greening of the foliage, but you want to focus on your potassium and your phosphorus. All right. And uh, the altitude doesn't matter? The, a- the altitude should be fine. Okay. A lot of the anthuriums grow really, really high up in Hawaii on mountainsides. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the altitude's an issue at all. All right. So fertilization. Fertilization. That's about it. So you want more P and K than N. Correct. So on the fertilizer bottles, there's going to be three numbers. You want your middle number and your last number to be higher than your first number. Right. So like a 5, 10, 10? Is that too much for a houseplant? That's actually fine for a houseplant. You could even do like a... I know the blooms are like 0, 20, 20. That's okay, too. Oh, is it? Okay. Just dilute it halfway. All right. That's that's the solution that's to the a solution. lot of things dilution. Is, is dilution. Mm-hmm. Solution is dilution. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, we are lining up people who are going to answer today's uh, Garden Grappler question. Name a houseplant with variegated foliage. We can start the fun right now if you'd like. Yeah, let's do All it. All right. Ron in Sacramento, what's your idea of variegated foliage? Uh, Spathophylla. Spathophylla. Wow. Yes. Wow. That is true. There are not just your regular peace lily. There are some variegated foliage. One is called a domino. It has kind of crinkly leaves and white splotches all over. There's also a common name of a spathophyllum called a mist. And it has a little bit discoloring on the foliage, too. So you're correct, Ron. Spathophyllum. Wow. You use a botanical name, too. I like that. You're a classy guy, Ron. Uh, (laughs) What I have for you, besides your psychic bonus points for using the botanical name, uh, I have for you the uh, Farmer Fred's 11 Garden Rules. We were just talking about that, as well as Farmer Fred's Fall Garden Checklist. So that'll be coming your way. Oh, exciting. Thanks a lot. All right, Ron. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right. So let's help people out here. And talk about now, for instance, in this spathophyllum, mm-hmm. what would be the variegated foliage? 
Well, for the spathophyllum, the bloom is also variegated. So it's the leaves and the bloom. All right. And it depends on the variety, though. But usually it's just the leaves. Okay. But when we talk about variegation, we're talking about leaf color. Leaf color, um, I don't want to say too much. Okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Fine. All right. Let's go to caller number two in today's Garden Grappler. It's Don here in Sacramento. Don, go ahead. Give us a variegated foliage houseplant. Uh, spider plant. Correct. Spider plant. What What is the variegation, Lauren, of a spider plant? It is usually uh, the leaves. The leaves. Mm -hmm. And it's? Striped normally. Striped. Okay. Striped. All right. Good answer, Don. So I'll be sending you the uh, Farmer Fred Garden Rules and the Farmer Fred Fall Garden Checklist. Thank and, you. And whatever else I can shove in the envelope. All right. I'll thank you for that. All right, Have a Don. good one, Don. All right. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll get to answers three, four, and five in today's Garden Grappler. Bonus prize for caller five. Name a variegated houseplant. Name a houseplant with, actually, the question is name a houseplant with variegated foliage. All right. All right. So there you go. 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Alrighty, we're in the midst of the Garden Grappler, lining up five winners. Five people who can name a houseplant with variegated foliage. So far, Ron said peace lily. Good answer. Don said spider plant. Yes, there are variegated spider plants. And there's a lot more. Clue available at FarmerFred.com, as well as the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Lauren McCrary is here from Elk Grove's Green Acres Nursery Store, where she tends to the houseplant section. I was going to say manages the houseplant section. Oh, that too. You do that? You manage yeah, it? I or, well, I'm the buyer. I'm the order. I order them. Oh, so. you're the boss. I'm the boss of the you're, houseplants. You're a houseplant boss. Okay, that works. Judith in Sacramento, go ahead. Give us a variegated foliage houseplant. Okay. Violet. <laughs> what, what kind of violet? An African violet. Oh, yes. We were talking about that earlier on the KFBK side. Yes. African violets do have variegated foliage. Exactly. And they're more persnickety. Yes, they are. All right. <laughs> what, what what makes an African violet persnickety? Uh, they definitely don't like moisture on their foliage whatsoever. Oh. You cannot water from the top. You need to water from the bottom. And they like a lot of light. Hmm. Okay. All right. That is persnickety for an mm -hmm. African violet. All Just right. don't touch them. Okay, so Judith, don't touch it. Um, but I'll be sending you the Farmer Fred 11 Garden Rules and Farmer Fred's Fall Garden Checklist. Awesome. All right, thank you All very right. much. Thanks, Judith. All right, bye-bye. Well, let's head over to Lake County and talk with Bob. Bob, go ahead, give us a variegated houseplant. Oh, how about a variegated Cuban oregano? A Cuban oregano. You know, I mean, it actually could work. You can grow herbs inside. Okay. I didn't know there was a variegated oregano. I didn't until I Googled it. Okay. <laughs> Is it the one that has a little bit of purple? Is it the purple splotch foliage one? You know, the the, the oh, picture they give it. is more white more than, white. than, than purple, uh, but it is definitely um, variegated. It's green with uh, white around the edges. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. Is it a plectranthus? Is that? Uh, let me, no, I'm just I'm looking at, yeah, I'm just looking at images of... 
of alleged Cuban oregano. I, you know, I thought you were doing a weed joke here, Bob. It's, <laughs> but no, there is uh, something called uh, the Plectranthus amboinicus. Yes, which would be in the coleus family. Oh, okay. But it's commonly known as Cuban, Cuban oregano. oregano. And there are pictures of things with... Uh, White edges. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which okay. is variegation. Yeah. White, a white margin. We yeah. learn new things every day. There you go. Yeah. It does. Well, good, good I have answer. a question, too, if I could. Definitely. Um, I'm, uh, I've got a pretty good vegetable garden. I've been using uh, grow bags, about a 25 gallon uh, fabric bag. Right. And I grew two different kinds of um, eggplant, and I put uh, both kinds in, in each one. And I got a great yield. Um, I put in the uh, Blanca Wida, whatever. It's the one that's that's actually variegated. It's a uh, eggplant. Then I put in the Black Beauty, and now they're both turned yellow. And in fact, it's kind of pretty. The the uh, Blanca one is uh, almost like a neon yellow. And I was wondering what causes that. Is that a problem, or if you had heard of that before? I would say that's a victim of cross-pollination, especially if if you had two different varieties in the same container where a wandering bee could, or even a breeze, could send the pollen from one flower of one plant to the other plant. So that I would say, offhand, I would say that's cross-pollination. I mean, if it's healthy, if the plant is healthy and you're just getting different colored fruit, that's usually a sign of cross-pollination or whatever you were sold is actually something else. Okay, okay. I, I know in the morning that the garden's just full of bees. I think one of my neighbors must be a beekeeper or something. So I'm probably getting pollen from everywhere. And that's so, a good okay, thing. Well, thank you. That's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, it is a good thing. Yeah. Now, usually it doesn't... I, the later you go into the season, the more the chance you're going to have that happen. And so your your original crop may have been true to color, and then later crop might have that variation to it. That that is exactly what happened. Yeah, um, um, early in the season it came out just like it looked on the the um, picture in the nursery. But yeah, in the last month or so, this has begun. Yeah, that 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 would be a cross pollination issue. Okay, well, thank you. All right, Bob. Well, I'll be sending you all that stuff. I I told uh, Ron and Don and Judith I'd send them. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Thanks That's for calling. One. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Now, we come to caller number five. Ooh. It's Mike in Sacramento. Hi, Mike. Hey, hey. Hey, Mike. I tell you what, since you're caller five, and if you've got a variegated house plant that isn't a peace lily, a spider plant, an African violet, or a Cuban oregano. Who Which ever... is in the coleus family. So you want to call it a coleus? So coleus. Yeah. All right. So a coleus. Thank you for that. I'm glad you knew that off the top of your head, too, by the way. Like Trampus. Thank you. All right. Name a houseplant with variegated foliage, uh, Mike, and I have for you a wonderful new book just came out by David Squire called The Houseplant Handbook. And if you don't get it right, I'm giving the book to Lauren. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm sorry, Lauren. Ooh. All right. Let's uh, the see. prayer plant. Yes. Marantha. Looks like yeah. I just lost my book. There you go. All right. Hey, Fred, I got a couple questions things for you okay one of them is a while back a few shows ago i don't know how many you said that a rose was not a flower i said that or somebody here said that no you you said i'm positive you said it on the air that a rose is not a flower yeah rose plant or well it's a shrub um 
I'm not exactly. You know, Baldo's on next week. I'll ask him if he said it. Okay. Yeah. No, he didn't say it. He, I, but anyway. Why would I say that? No, I, that, uh, that was a few shows ago. I wish I could remember which one. I wish I could remember, period. But yeah, whatever. I hear you. Hey, the other thing is, you're not a Dodger fan, are you? <laughs> The flag outside my house may change today, depending, uh, or tomorrow, actually. It just may change. Okay, just so you know, Sacramento is a giant territory. So. I've heard that, yes. I've only lived here for 45 years. I, I've uh, determined, ascertained somehow that... I mean, debatable, though, because the Rivercats used to be athletics. Yeah, they're in Tennessee now, though. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, I have spent more money on Giants games than I ever spent going to a Dodger game. Isn't that crazy? Well, good for you. Yes. So <laughs> I, I have contributed okay. mightily to the financial fortunes of <laughs> the San Francisco Giants. Amen. All right. Amen. There you go. Okay, Fred. Well, thank you. You have a great show, and I listen to you every weekend when I can. All right, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. You betcha. All right. <laughs> and uh, don't forget the show is available as a podcast, so you can listen any old time that you want. It, that's not an issue. The podcast available at KSTE.com or the iHeartRadio app for streaming, or you can download it from iTunes or whoever you use to uh, download your podcast and listen to it that way. And um, what else? I don't know. Now I'm confused about the rose not being a flower. Yeah, I don't know where that came. Of course, well, like that one email question I had earlier where they were saying I said something six or eight years ago. Oh, that, yeah. And it was like, Okay, <laughs> yeah, I probably did say something six or eight years ago, but uh, don't even ask me what I wrote in my newspaper column last week. I have no idea. I forgot. It's okay, I no mo- one gets the newspaper anyways. Mo- that's. <laughs> I know, I know. It's. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Do you have any last words for us? Um, we have three minutes left. You can yes, uh, if you are moving a plant indoors for the winter, make sure that you are checking the foliage. Look for signs of aphids, mites, and mealybugs because if you do not tend to those immediately before you move them inside, they can infest your indoor garden. By mites, I guess you're referring to spider mites? Spider mites, usually red mites are the mm-hmm. ones that will be coming around wintertime just because of the moisture in the air. So I know where aphids are. They're on the underside of the leaves. Aphids are on the underside. The spider mites are usually on the underside. The actual mite, the spider itself is on the underside. Will there be webbing? There usually will be webbing. And where is the webbing located? The webbing's going to be near the armpit or the elbow of the foliage. Right. That's where the stem and the leaf connect. So it's the stem of the leaves. You may, though, if you have a bad infestation, it could be on the entire leaves itself. But it will be very, very hard to see. Yeah, unless yep. if you have like a magnifying glass. And, and hold it up to the light right, the right light. Yes. And then the mealybugs too will be in the same spot where the webbing of the spider mites will be. So they're going to be in the elbows or the oh. creases. They won't be in the soil? They will also be in the soil. Mm-hmm. So they'll be in both. They're soil born and they're going to be on the foliage as well. Can you do anything while you're outside to check for mealybugs like if, if you flooded the soil, would mealybugs come up to the surface? They will, but the issue with mealybugs is the majority of them are microscopic. Oh. It isn't until you have a bad infestation will you actually see a mealybug on the plant. So I guess one idea might say, and I'll, I'm going to use an outdated term here, take a piece of typing paper and uh, 
and put it uh, beneath the plant or and, and shake the plant, and shake the plant. onto exactly. this white piece of paper yes. and see if you see anything crawling. Yes, exactly. And if you do find that you have any of these issues, you want to isolate that plant, treat it before you bring it indoors. You want to make sure that you treat or spray or use a systemic, which is taken up by the root system, before you bring that plant inside because you want to make sure you're not going to bring in new critters that will eventually go to the rest of your plants and spread. House plants and insecticidal soap, is that safe? Yes, insecticidal soap is safe. Even for hairy-leafed plants? It is for hairy-leaf plants, but if we go back on the subject of African violets, they actually don't like anything sprayed on their foliage. Right. So sometimes it's best to just use a systemic. Mm-hmm. Systemics will cover a wide range of diseases and pests, whereas insecticidal soap doesn't always cover the entire And you spectrum. have to hit the pest directly, too, with the insecticidal soap. You do. Soap. You have to smother it. Yeah, because there is no you. residual action. And I, I would think oils would not be recommended for houseplants. Um, horticulture oil is okay. Yeah. Horticulture oil is okay. It would be used as a preventative, though. It's not necessarily going to treat the issue. Okay. But uh, a clean houseplant is a happy houseplant. A clean houseplant is a happy houseplant. Lauren McCrary, always a pleasure having you here. It's always nice being here. All right. So you can find her at the houseplant section of Elk Grove's Green Acres Nursery at Laguna Laguna 99. Yeah, nursery and supply at Laguna 99. Correct. Or is it Bond in 99? It's Bond in 99, but it's the Laguna Bond exit. Right. So you go west. West is Laguna and east is Bond. Yes. You want to go east. East. Yeah. You go east, yeah. North. Next to Chickaphill. Ch- Ch- yes, Chickaphill. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> Just to be clear. Thank you, Lauren. No problem. Thank you for having me. When we come back, we're talking fall cover cropping as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. If you've never experimented with cover crops, there are a lot of benefits for putting in what's called a cover crop during the fall for both gardeners and farmers. We're talking with the product development manager at Peaceful Valley Farm Supply in Grass Valley, Sarah Griffin Bubakar. And Sarah, what exactly are the benefits to cover cropping that people may not know about? Well, there's a lot of benefits. Um, it depends on why you want a cover crop. So there's lots of different reasons to use one. Um, they can obviously fix nitrogen. That'd probably be the number one benefit. It brings um, atmospheric nitrogen and puts it right in the soil, right where your plants can use it. Um, it also adds organic matter. So when you're amending your garden, the two only two expensive amendments are nitrogen, fertilizer, and organic matter like compost. So this uh, cover crop will do both of those. It also can suppress weeds over the winter and improve soil tilth and increase biology in the soil. Um, It can uh, reduce erosion. It can help with certain pest problems because it'll harbor beneficial insects. Uh, It can even provide winter feed for animals. Helps with crop rotation, which is very important, and it just it's more of a natural crop rotation. And it can increase water infiltration in the soil. Let's talk about that last point because uh, that's important for gardeners and farmers who, who want to cut down the amount of irrigation they have to do. And that has to do with the deep-rooted nature of cover cropping, allowing the water to penetrate even deeper into the soil profile. Well, yeah, exactly. It will. It can 
especially some cover crops have very large roots like daikon radish. So you can plant daikon radish and as it grows, it busts through some hard uh, soils that would otherwise be hard to penetrate and allow the water to stay, go down deeper into the soil profile. While at the same time, it, all of those roots and all of that organic matter is like a sponge holding on to water. So if you have a healthy cover cropping system, then, yeah, over time, you would need to irrigate less and less. And as you mentioned, that by having a cover crop, you're providing, if you will, a good bug hotel for beneficial insects who may be inspired to spend the winter on your property. Absolutely. Cover crop doesn't necessarily have to mean a crop you put in between, you know, your succession planting. It can also be a hedgerow, so something along the the borderlines of your of your garden area or your farming area that would work as a protective area for these beneficial insects. So it can provide uh, pollen for the pollinizing. A lot of our beneficial insects are pollinators when they're adults and they're voracious bug eaters as larvae. And so it'll provide habitat for them so that if you do have a pest problem in your garden, those beneficial insects are just lying in wait, waiting to gobble them up. There's a lot of confusion among gardeners and farmers about when you take out a cover crop or what do you do to a cover crop in spring when it's time to plant. Do you take it out? Do you just mow it down? What do you do with a cover crop? And at what point should you be cutting down a cover crop? Right. Well, that's a really good question. So there's a couple of different schools of thought on that. There's um, if you're a tiller, if you till, then there's one way to do it. And then there's if you're a no-till person. And no-till is, is pretty hip right now um, because of the, you know, maintaining the mycorrhizae in the soil. And so if you till, then you bust up all that mycorrhizae and it's hard for it to really get established mycorrhizae being the beneficial fungus in the soil. So the no-till method is pretty popular. Um, but the key thing to remember, whether you're tilling or not tilling, is that you don't want to cut the cover crop and just let it lay. Because if you let it lay, then all of that nitrogen that's in the plant, it's been sequestering, it's been grabbing from the atmosphere and putting it into the plant, it's all just going to go back into the atmosphere. And it can happen within minutes. Within an hour, most of that nitrogen's gone. So the key thing is that once you cut, you have to cover it, whether you cover it by tilling it into the soil or whether if you're doing a no-till, then you're going to cover it with another layer of something. So finished compost or something else. So just to keep that, that nitrogen in the soil rather than going back into the atmosphere. So the key is to cut the cover crop when it's about half in bloom, because if you allow the cover crop to go to seed, then you've got weed problems and not to mention a lot of that nitrogen that you've been keeping from taking from the atmosphere is now going into seed production. So all that energy, rather than going back into the soil as now fertilizer or green manure, is then going into seed production. So you don't want your cover crop to go to seed. So the key is to cut it when it's about half in bloom. So you just start to notice the blooms, about half the crop is in bloom, then you're going to cut it and immediately cover it, whether you're covering it by tilling it in or covering it with a mulch. Then you're going to wait at least three weeks if you're tilling, perhaps even longer, depending on how thick your mat is. Um, if you're doing a no-till, you're going to wait at least three weeks in planting to give the green manure a chance to break down. 
if you don't do that, it actually gets quite hot in the soil and you can burn your seedlings or your seeds and uh, nothing will grow for about three weeks until that's able to break down. It could be sooner, could be longer, depending on how active the soil biology is at the time. For both the small-scale gardener and the large-scale farmer, what are some alternatives for mulching that cut cover crop if you're practicing no-till? I mean, you can use straw, you can use alfalfa hay, you can use a finished compost, anything to cover up that that layer of the green cover crop. You just really don't want it to go limp and have all the water come out of it because with the water will go the nitrogen. Let's talk about some various cover crops. And I imagine uh, it depends on what you're growing and uh, where you are and uh, what sort of soil you have. But among the, the fall-sown cover crops, what are the most popular? Well, we have... Um we have formulated here at Peaceful Valley, we formulated a couple of mixes that are really popular. Um, they are, we call them soil builder mixes because they will build your soil if you use them every year. And the soil builder mixes have a mix of grasses and legumes. So the legumes are those nitrogen fixers. So that's the ones that we've mainly been talking about as fixing nitrogen. But grasses also have a lot of benefits, mainly being just a lot of biomass that they They grow quickly and put a lot of organic matter into the soil. Soil builder mixes have vetch and bell beans, which are a kind of fava bean. So they grow really well in the cold weather. Um, And the vetch is like a vine and it climbs up the bell beans and it climbs up. There's also white oats and peas in there. And the, the peas and the vetch use the oats and the bell beans as scaffolding to climb up. So it'll be quite the tangled mess, ideally. Um, it'll be full of beneficial insects, ideally. And um, and then when you chop it down, you want to do that before it's fully blooming. And I imagine when you chop it down, you want to do it in segments of no more than 6 to 12 inches before you take it to the ground. Right. Well, hopefully you're, by the spring, your cover crop is quite lush and prolific and so you want to chop it up as much as possible because the more it's chopped up into little pieces uh the quicker it breaks down and so you will chop it up and then either till it in or cover it up so maybe uh, mowing it after you've chopped it up would help yeah yeah definitely key is to really cover it up this mix that you're talking about your premium uh, soil builder mix uh can get rather high can't it about what four to six feet it yeah, so what I use is I use a weed whacker when I go to, to chop it down. And I'll just chop, like you said, the top six inches, then do another layer, then do another layer um, until it gets down to the ground. And what is the application rate for the garden? What is the application rate for a farm? Let's see, you're going to do three to five pounds for a thousand square feet for the soil builder mix. Keeping in mind that because it is a lot of different sized seeds, Seed spreaders can be a little bit challenging because you've got the smaller vetch seeds and the larger um, bell beans and and that. So it will be a little bit harder to spread. Also, it's not pre-inoculated. And so if you add it, if you add the inoculant, it can get a little bit sticky. So I usually just spread it by hand. Um, Now, if you're a farmer, 
you it's 70 to 120 pounds per acre depending on how rich your soil is obviously if your soil is is quite poor you're going to go the higher application rates in that case using a more professional grade seed spreader would be best or even a seed driller if you're drilling the seed then it would be you could go the lower application rate as well because you'd have more germination what depth is ideal for planting the seed well because It's tough, like I said, because it's so many different sized seeds, you don't want to go too deep. So I would only go about a quarter inch deep because of the fetch mainly as the smallest seeds and the oats as well. So you don't want to go too deep. I'd say a quarter inch to a half inch deep at the most. A lot of people just spread it over the top and that works too. Does it need irrigation after planting or can you just wait for the fall rains to begin? It really depends. Um, I, a big mistake what I see a lot of people do, um, why they, oh, I just didn't have success with my cover crop. Well, usually it has to do with irrigation because you do, it is a seed that needs to, all like all seeds, it needs to be completely moist the whole time. And so if it's allowed to dry out, then the seed will just die. And so I like to time it when right when the fall rains have started, but the soil is still warm. If the soil is too cold when you plant it, then the seeds won't germinate or they'll take a really long time to germinate. So you ha- you have to time it right. Sometimes Mother Nature doesn't cooperate with you with the timing and the fall rains will come later or they'll come too early when you're, you're, the rest of your crop is still in. You can irrigate to get the timing right. You have to keep the soil completely moist while it's germinating. Once it's germinated, you can let it dry out in between, especially because it'll be cooler and so you don't need to water as often. But you still need to pay attention to dry spells. And if it is, if we do have a dry spell, which oftentimes we do in January in particular, is a pretty dry month most, most often. So, you know, giving it a good drench once a week or so, even when it's cold, you don't really need much more than that. Well, that will really help the, the cover crop thrive and you'll get the most out of it. So I guess ideal planting time for this really, it depends on the weather, but basically uh, sometime between Labor Day and Halloween. Yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty safe. I mean, you don't want to get your crops, your summer crops out too soon because you want to really, you know, maximize how much you get out of them. But then there there comes to be a point where, you know, those tomatoes, while you may, may still have some green tomatoes on the plant, if the tomato is really suffering and, and not looking very healthy, you got to pull it out sooner rather than later because otherwise you're just inviting pest problems. Peaceful Valley has a, a wide array of cover crops and cover crop mixes, and you can check out what they have online at groworganic.com. It's all about cover cropping. Sarah Griffin Bubakar is the product development manager at Peaceful Valley Farm Supply. Sarah, good talking with you and happy cover cropping. Thanks, you too, Fred. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Coming up this Wednesday, October 11th, it's an open garden at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Yes, a midweek open garden from 9 a.m. to noon. What's going on on Wednesday? Let's find out. We're talking with Master Gardener Shannon Gordon. And Shannon, these Wednesday open houses, open workshops, they don't come around very often. No, they don't, Fred. Uh, We usually have maybe two a year, and they're always well attended. 
and there are lots of folks who can't come on Saturdays because their kids have soccer games. Uh, we had one um, man who owned a donut shop, and he only had Wednesdays where he didn't have to be up at 3.30 in the morning making donuts, and so he could come once a year. So it's really been well-received. It's fall. I, I, I bet a lot of people are like me. They're out choosing plants to put in the ground, trees, shrubs, perennials, herbs, all sorts of plants. This is the best time of year for planting. I would think there would be a little bit of emphasis going on there Wednesday about choosing plants that don't require much water. There will be. There will. Folks can learn to select water-efficient landscape plants. And again, I know I've said this a million times, but the plants are labeled. And that's so nice to be able to take a picture with your phone or whatever or write it down on a piece of paper because how many times have we gone somewhere and said, oh, I'll remember that. And you walk away and you don't. So that's that's one of the benefits. And also, this is a, a really good time of year to see the differences where plants have produced and they've been all in bloom all summer and now they're they're shutting down a bit and you can see what they look like at this stage and that's always useful too go to the fair oaks horticulture center at least four times a year so that you can see all these plants especially those in the water efficient landscape what they look like in at the various seasons and go on wednesday you're going to get a good idea of what that full-grown plant is going to look like in the fall one of the things that's good to know about this particular event, this will be the very last open to the public event for the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center for 2017. Who can believe that, that it's almost gone? You scared me there. It's going to come back in <laughs> January, though, isn't it? Yes. Okay, we good. will be back in January, but um, for the time being, for, for anything for the fall, now's a great time to look. Meanwhile, meanwhile, um, they're in the orchard. I know a lot of, of our group will be talking about protecting the citrus trees from with from the frost with whether it's old Christmas tree lights or um, some kind of blanketing for the winter. And in the herb garden, the folks there will be talking about harvesting and preparing herbs for winter. And part of that is if you have herbs in a pot and they're kind of tender herbs, you can just move them into a sheltered spot. In some cases, herbs should be cut and maybe hung to dry so that people can use them in the winter. But this is a good time to ask people if you have those herbs you particularly want to use during the winter. And the open garden will be nine to noon. And as always, it's free. Unless you want to buy something. Unless you want to buy something. In fact, we have opportunities there. The 2018 Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar will be for sale and makes a great hostess gift. Somebody on the Christmas list that just pops up will always appreciate that. And we also have our Flower Bulb Fundraiser. And they're taking pre-orders and... Um, I'm not sure if the bulbs will be here for the October Open Garden, but when they are pre-ordered, the Master Gardeners there will tell you when they'll be available. And from what I understand, you'll have tulips and gladiolus available. 
Yes. And w- one of the things that's kind of fun, too, is every year th- these folks pick out some interesting bulbs to sell. And one of the things they'll be asking is, for those people that bought bulbs last year, they're going to be asking, how do you how do you feel that they did? So that's kind of a good thing, too. We, we enjoy getting information from what we sell as well. All right. The Gardening Guide and Calendar, the Peppermint Stick Tulip, or the Jacob's Ladder Gladiolus will be available for pre-order. And, of course, you can bring your garden problems and questions to the Ask the Master Gardeners table going on there at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center during their midweek open garden. It's this coming Wednesday, October 11th, 9 a.m. to noon, at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, 11549 Fair Oaks Boulevard in Fair Oaks, south of Madison, next to the library in Fair Oaks Park. You can't miss it. Wednesday, 9 to noon. If any of your listeners are interested in becoming a Master Gardener, they should visit our Master Gardener, Sacramento County Master Gardener website to get the information and to be able to get an application packet because those packets will be due in the office by October 17. And open gardens are a wonderful time for people to see what master gardeners do. It is a convoluted website. The easiest way to do it is to go to your favorite internet search engine, be it Google or Bing or whatever, and type in the word Sacramento County Master Gardener, and I'm sure the Master Gardener page would come up and you can get more information on how you can become a Sacramento County Master Gardener, which is open only to Sacramento County residents. Yes. Shannon Gordon, Sacramento County Master Gardener, thanks for all the information. Thank you, Fred. And there's a lot of other garden events going on I want to tell you about, like today, for instance, at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center. The fall sale is going on. All the clubs that take part at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center will be represented, or most of them will, so there will be a wide variety of uh, plants available and, and garden art and other things at the fall plant sale the fall sale going on at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center today until 4 o'clock. And the Shepherd Garden and Art Center is at 3330 McKinley Boulevard in McKinley Park across the street from the tennis courts. The, up at Butte College in Oroville today, they're having their fall plant sale at the Environmental Horticulture Department until 5 o'clock. Everything will be 30% off with special items 50% off. The Butte College Environmental Horticulture Department is located at 3536 Butte Campus Drive in Oroville. And that sale going on today until about 5 o'clock or so. All right, we just heard from Shannon Gordon about the uh, Wednesday midweek open garden at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. What else is going on? I want to tell you about next Saturday. It's open garden day in San Joaquin County with the Master Gardeners there from 9 a.m. to 12 noon. That'll be next Saturday at the Robert J. Cabral Ag Center, which is at 2101 East Earhart Avenue in Stockton. They'll feature a pruning, irrigation, and planting demonstrations, vermicomposting, tool care, IPM, how to attract pollinators, and a lot more. And that's during their fall open garden day in San Joaquin County. Next Saturday, 9 to noon, there at the Robert Cabral Ag Center in Stockton. Master Gardeners up in Amador County have a class coming up next Saturday from 9 to noon on small backyard orchards. That'll be held from 10 a.m. to noon at their office at 12200 Airport Road in Jackson. 
It's all about backyard orchard culture and uh, keeping those trees small, and they'll take you through the uh, hows and whys of how to do it. And that'll be, again, next Saturday. So plenty of garden events uh, happening here. Don't forget there are some great gardening guides and calendars available for sale from local master gardener groups. Sacramento County Master Gardeners have uh, their gardening guide and calendar for sale. In fact, they'll be at the uh, fall plant sale at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center today to offer up that calendar and gardening guide. So you can check that out uh, today there at the Old Shep. Then the Placer County Master Gardeners have a wonderful 2018 calendar and gardening guide available, and that is available at uh, the various farmer markets in the area, including the Auburn Farmers Market on the first and third Saturdays through October, and the Farmers Market at the Fountains in Roseville every Tuesday through October. Plus, they'll be at the Mountain Mandarin Festival November 17th to 19th, offering up their gardening guide and calendar for 2018 so check that out coming up uh, after the news it is going to be the kste farm hour and on the farm hour today we talk about the new medfly quarantine area in solano county specifically in the fairfield area we have the details about the exact uh, dimensions of that 85 square mile quarantine area who's affected what you need to know what you need to do so we'll be talking about that to lead off the KSDE Farm Hour for this week, which is right here on KSDE every Sunday after the news at, at noon o'clock. Also, we're going to be talking about um, how to do weed control, pre-emergent weed control in orchards and vineyards. There's some exciting new products out that work differently from uh, the old products. So we're going to be talking about weed control, pre-emergent weed control in orchards and vineyards. Also, small farms. What is a small farm? What what defines a small farm and what resources are available for small farms? We talk with people from the University of California, Davis, who run the Small Farm Center. And there's a big small farm conference coming up in Stockton that uh, we'll tell you about as well. Thank you for listening to today's show. We'll do it all again next week. We're talking roses next week with Baldo Viegas and Charlotte Owendike from the Sierra Foothills Rose Society. That'll be on next week's show. Don't forget the show is available as a podcast from the iHeartRadio app or KSTE.com or your favorite third-party podcast aggregator. Have a great weekend, folks. Bye-bye.